Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We're going to get to work quite quickly today. Uh, we've got so much to unpack this morning. I'm excited about what God's Word is going to show us today. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. And uh, just a quick uh, heads up for you about an event that's happening in 20 days' time. We have a Spirit-filled church conference going on in Chelmsford, and we're going to have uh, Terry Virgo speaking to us that day. Uh, Terry uh, founded the kind of wider movement of churches that our family of churches is part of, and uh, this is going to be a fantastic day. If you long to know more of the Holy Spirit uh, and His power in your life, then I would love for you to come along to this event. It's just a half-day conference. It's just five pounds, and uh, we're going to hopefully take many car loads over to Chelmsford, about 40 minutes down the road. So 20 days' time, maybe take a note of where you can get your tickets, um, but look out in our, uh, our weekly newsletter that goes out online uh, this week for a link for that as well. Uh, I'd love to see many of you there. Okay, we're going to continue our series today, which we're calling A Better Story. And the idea behind this series is that we hear many stories, many narratives, many compelling ideas coming to us uh, every single day when it comes to the th things like sex and relationships, like gender, family, uh, identity, and so on. And we've been examining, does God's Word have a better story to tell? We've been seeing that when we kind of dig a little bit deeper on some of these things and some of the things that we hear in the world's story, as it were, we find that these things are are kind of built on quite shaky foundations, and that actually they don't ultimately lead to human flourishing. And so we've been saying, is there a better story? And today we're looking at singleness. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my friend Marie Reavy, who's from Wellspring Family Church in Deerham, and who serves in our wider family of churches in various ways. And we're going to be hearing from her. I'm looking forward to that a little bit later on. Now, we heard a couple of Sundays back, if you were here, uh, what the Bible says about this question, what is sex and marriage for? And I unpacked for us that really the, the sexual revolution that has happened over these last 60 years or so and the kind of underlying philosophy that is right at the heart of it, namely expressive individualism. I, that means we kind of look within to see what we desire, we kind of push out the voices of others, and we kind of go for what we think is right. The sexual revolution doesn't really have any answers to the question, what are sex and marriage for? And when we come to sexual education in schools, it's basically the case that we're told, make sure you're protected and make sure you get consent. There's no speaking into any deeper meaning of why we all know sex to be something that is more than physical. It doesn't speak into that at all. Now, the Bible, as I unpacked a couple of weeks ago, gives a glorious picture of what sex and marriage is all about. And I unpacked, uh, I unpacked for us how these things ultimately point us to the great story of history, the great story of God's rescue plan, and the great story of how one day Jesus and his people, the church, will be united, there will be a great wedding feast, and together we will live for eternity. That marriage is really pointing to that, and that when we uh, witness a marriage, when we contemplate marriage, we need to see beyond the kind of beam of light, as it were. we need to look up the beam of light and see the greater picture, that what marriage is all about. And the Apostle Paul, who was one of the most influential leaders in the early church, and really 
probably the most influential Christian of all time, he unpacks in Ephesians chapter 5, we're just going to go there very quickly now, what marriage is all about. It's important that we just recap this, and you'll see why in a moment. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he shows in those verses and in that wider passage, which I encourage you to read in your own time, that marriage is a one flesh union between a man and a woman that binds them together until death parts them. That's what Paul defines marriage as. And I explained that whilst the world may try to change the picture, we as Christians don't get to change the picture of one man, one woman for life because it points to something really, really significant. It's more than about a gorgeous dress or an expensive party or even a contract on a piece of paper. It's a picture of Jesus and the church for eternity. Now, if that wasn't shocking enough two weeks ago for our 21st century sensitivities, what we're going to read today, I think, will uh, kind of be a bucket of water over our head in some way as we unpack what it has to say about singleness. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, so just a little bit before Ephesians. And before we unpack this, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, and particularly chapters 5, 6, and 7, are very, very instructive for us uh, and helpful for us as we unpack what the Bible has to say about sex and marriage and singleness and divorce and identity and our bodies, these kinds of themes. And there's so much helpful stuff in there. As I unpacked in week one, God hasn't left us to kind of guess and to make it all up. There's some really helpful instruction in there for us. And it, it requires careful unpicking, but I want to encourage you to dive into that when you have a chance, maybe in your life groups this week. Here we go. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 1 onwards. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, you need to understand the Corinthian church in Greece had written to Paul and had asked him a bunch of questions. And they told him also about a bunch of things that were going on in the church. And this is what they had said. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And now we're back to Paul speaking. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession and not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. He's saying... I wish you were single like me, as it will become clear in a little while. I wish you were all as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. 
To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now we're going to fast forward, just for the sake of time, to verses 32 onwards. Paul goes on to say this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, as I said, these verses to our 21st century sensitivities are kind of shocking, are they not? Are there some things in there that you thought, wow, okay, this is not what I hear every day. This is not the message that I pick up day to day. What is going on here? What can we glean from these verses that we've read? How do they contrast in some of the ways that we might hear uh, the world's messaging uh, speak to us? Before we, before we dive into this, I, I just want to urge those of you who are married here to, to really tune in. Okay, Don't think, okay, Tom's talking on singleness. I'm going to do some emails because uh, I've got some things to catch up on. No, I really, really want you to tune in. I want you to tune in for two reasons. The first reason is this. As Rod and Kirsten just so helpfully shared with us, we are a family. That means we're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. We, we actually belong to each other in a really deep way. And so if we're to really be good brothers and sisters to one another, then we need to understand how we can best help one another. And therefore, in the weeks to come, at some points, we're going to speak about growing strong marriages. That's not time for single people in the church to switch off. It's a time to lean in and say, I want to help people in this church in their marriages. And so I want to lean in what the Bible says about this. So the first reason I don't want you to switch off here if you're married is because we're family and we want to learn how best we can serve one another. And the second reason is this. If your marriage goes the distance, the kind of till death do us part distance, which I pray that it will, it means that for 50% of the married people here, you will be single again one day. And that, that may be because uh, you know, that your partner has passed away, and it may, be because, it may be the fact that you then have 20, 30, 40 years as a single person. It may be 20, 30, 40 days. We don't know. But the reality is that for 50% of the married people here, and we pray, God, let each of those marriages go the distance, you're going to be single again one day. And so therefore, we need to understand these principles and take them to our hearts. So don't do that thing of, saying to yourself, I'm really glad so-and-so is here because they really need to hear this message. We've all been there, right? We've all been there at some point in our lives. Don't do that. You need to hear this message. You really do. And you need to hear the wisdom that we see in the scriptures here. You need to hear from Marie and myself and take it to heart. So what does Paul unpack for us in these verses? Well, the first thing I want to point out is this, that Paul sees singleness in a positive light. He sees it in a positive light. And I would say that that is not the case often for our kind of Western culture. I think immediately of Bridget Jones. Many of you love the Bridget Jones films. Maybe for some of you it's classic Christmas time viewing. But the reality is Bridget Jones is, is kind of portrayed as quite a desperate w woman, to be honest. She's, 
She's denounced as a spinster, which is kind of like an old-fashioned word for a woman who hasn't married. And it's not a particularly positive reflection on singleness. And so it's kind of like a comedy, but it's showing that really there's a sex-obsessed culture out there, and she's kind of trying to live her life in that as a single woman. Now, fast forward 25 years, because that's how long the first Bridget Jones film came out. It's a long time ago. Is the, are those truths still relevant, I wonder? Is it still the case that we're in this sex-obsessed culture? Yes, I think it is. Some of you will have heard the Jess Glynn song, Nobody. Jess Glynn's the one from the Jet 2 adverts where the song gets stuck in your head all day. Her song, Nobody, says these lyrics. Could I be that somebody to you? They say you're no one until you're somebody to someone. They say you're no one until someone misses you when you're gone. I think she's quite in insightful there. I think we still have this kind of pervading uh, belief, really, that, that sex and romantic relationships equal fulfillment, and that somehow you're, you're, you're not a whole person until you're in a romantic relationship with someone, until someone misses you when you're gone, until someone calls you a somebody. I think that's true. I think that in our culture, that is still a big deal. And Christmas time will, will surely up that messaging for us as well. And there are many dozens of people in this church for whom that is a difficult time. Because songs start to be played on the radio, and you cannot escape the songs of finding that someone under the mistletoe. Or, all I want for Christmas is you, baby. And these kind, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Maybe I'll sing it nearer the time. But it's everywhere we look. And, and the thing is, as I speak about singleness today, the, the shocking thing is that for the Christian who wants to honor Jesus with their lives, that actually means celibacy. That is a big thing in this culture. That's a shocking thing to say. Let's follow the logic here. The Bible speaks about sex being reserved for marriage. It does that in 1 Corinthians 7. It does it again in Hebrews chapter 13 where it talks about keeping the marriage bed pure. It's quite frequently hammered home in, in the scriptures that sex is for marriage. And therefore, if sex is for marriage, then singleness does mean for the Christian celibacy. Now, to our society, that is, that's a dangerous thing. Tim shared last week of the big kind of thinkers and the movers and shakers over the last couple of hundred years that have so profoundly impacted our culture, one of those people is Sigmund Freud. Now, I did psychology A-level, and this guy had some wacky ideas. He really did. Maybe some of you do A-level psychology, and you think, man, how has he got that from that? But one of the ideas that has really stuck in our culture is this idea that right at the core of who we are, we are ultimately sexual beings from infancy. That's kind of the thing that, that, that Freud hammered home. And so if you go along with that, if you go along with right at the core of who we are, we, we, we're sexual creatures, we're sexual beings, then you think, well, actually, that's our prime identity. Our desires then define us in some ways. But we, we don't do that with other desires, do we? It's just, just to illustrate how Freud's teaching has kind of permeated our society. We don't do that with other desires that we have. So if you 
really like meat, you, you don't identify as an omnivore, right? You don't have that on your Instagram bio. You know, Ipswich, omnivore. You don't do that. You don't do that with other desires that you may have within. You don't have it about your desires maybe to, if you kind of feel yourself angry and revengeful, you don't identify with them as who you are deep down. You don't say, that's, that's who I am. I'm, I'm an angry and revengeful person. When someone wrongs me, I take revenge. We don't do that. We have been so, uh, Freud's teaching have so infiltrated the Western world in a big way. So now people identify with their sexual desires. That's who I am at my deepest core. So you might say, I'm Tom and I am this way orientated. You, you might speak of your sexual desire as your identity. So that's a big deal. So if you've grown up with that way of thinking, then to hear me say that singleness for the Christian means celibacy, that's really, really hard to hear. Because if you've bought into that, and you think that's really damaging. And you'll think there's, that's actually uh, abusive to, to deny ourselves, or harmful to deny ourselves sex. Because you've probably bought into the thing of, well, at the very core of who we are, from infancy, we're sexual beings. And to really discover who we are and to really live out our, our authentic self, we've got to live out those desires. Now, you might be a Christian here thinking, that's not, that's not what I think, Tom. I haven't kind of taken a hold of that teaching. I've not really bought into that. But sometimes we might be guilty of looking at someone else and thinking, I really want them to get married so that they then can really be happy. And you'll be well-meaning, no doubt about it, but we've probably been there. I really want so-and-so to get married, because then they'll really be happy. Is that fair to say? Is it fair to say that even well-meaning Christians, and I really do believe that in the heart of hearts is a well-meaning thing, we've sometimes fallen into a worldly view of seeing sex and romantic relationships equaling fulfillment. And we've kind of thought, well, they can't really be fulfilled unless they know that for themselves. Have we been there? I wonder. Now, I, I reiterate again the word well-meaning. Often there's good intentions when that is said, but it's not actually the case of wanting the best for someone because actually it might not be best for them to get married. That might not be what God has for them. The most fully complete human being who ever walked on this planet, Jesus Christ, never married, never had sex, never had a romantic relationship, never flirted with someone, died as a 33-year-old virgin. And undoubtedly the most influential Christian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, who planted churches, who saw hundreds, maybe thousands of people come to faith, who laid down massive foundations for us as believers, never married, never had sex. And he lived an incredibly fulfilled life. How we have been swayed by the world's story in these things. Surely marriage and sex are good, and no one seems to be more excited about marriage than Paul, who, who waxes lyrical about the beauty of marriage and what it points to. But we can, as Christians, fall into the trap of thinking that sex equals fulfillment, or that marriage equals fulfillment or wholeness. But Paul puts it in a positive light. 
He says here, I wish you were like I am. And in, in a couple of places in Corinthians, he's secure enough to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I don't know if I could say that to some people. Imitate me, just follow my way of life. I hope I can. But he's secure enough to say that. And in the area of singleness, he's saying, I wish you were all like me. So he sees it in a positive light. How, how is that possible? Well, I think it's that he saw that singleness can allow for greater devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. Now, we need to acknowledge that both singleness and marriage have their ups and downs. And, and, a, and a trap that we can fall into is that we can compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And I think Instagram and Facebook have a lot to answer for on that, on that front. Now, I'm not wanting to say here that it's wrong to honor our husbands or wives or to take the light in our family on Facebook or Instagram and to put up an honoring post saying, I'm really, really grateful for them. I don't think that's wrong, but I just want you to understand that sometimes scrolling through the stories on these things isn't always that helpful because actually some people look at this and they see the highlights reel of your life. Okay, so I, have, I will occasionally post an honoring post of Sarah, but I don't want to do that all the time because people just see the highlights reel of your life and not actually the times that are tough. And so it's possible that the single people might look on and think, oh, they've really, it looks, their life looks perfect. And my life's not like that. And the flip side is true as well because sometimes we compare the upsides of singleness with the downsides of marriage. And people can look on and think, I kind of wish I was single again, to have that freedom. Because there are ups and downs to marriage and ups and downs to singleness. But Paul, he looks at singleness and he sees it in a positive light. He sees these things as gifts to us. I think he sees marriage and singleness as gifts to us. And we need to understand, though, that there's not a gift of singleness per se, some kind of superpower that we might have to help us to live out a single life. Just as there's not a gift of marriage that you can say, maybe after 15 years, you know what, I don't think I've got the gift of marriage, actually. Can we pack it in? I don't think God's ever given me it. No, that's not what it's about here. It's talking, about, it's talking here about seeing our, our status, as it were, whether we're single or married, as a gift from God. And seeing that there are positive things that we possess here. Paul received his singleness as a gift. He doesn't have to pretend it's easy all the time. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure there were times when he found that hard. Some of the other, other apostles did have wives. And he may have thought, I could, I could have that too. But he sees it as a positive thing. He sees it as a gift by which actually he can be free from some anxieties. Did you pick up on that when we read that through? He sees it as a gift by which we can be free from some anxieties. Now, if you're newly married here, you might think, I don't understand what's, what's all about. What's there to be anxious about? But as you get older, anxiety can knock at the door. Anxiety about how can I balance it all? How can I be a good husband or wife, good father or mother? How can I be a good church member? How can I be a good employee or boss? Or How can I balance all of this together? All this kind of stuff piles up and we think, how can I do it? That's one such way an anxiety can bubble up for people who are married. Or the anxiety of, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I, as the mortgage rates go up, or as other things, other pressures financially come in, how am I going to put food on the table? How are we going to have a semblance of a Christmas? 
These kinds of things you might have been even asking yourself this week. How am I going to provide for my family? That's just some of it. But Paul is saying in verse 32, I'd spare you of those anxieties. I'd actually prefer you to be undivided in your devotion to God. How can he do this? Why does he say this? Well, I think Paul saw the times differently to the way that we do. I think he saw the times very differently, and therefore he saw himself very differently. He saw the world in its present form, in verse 31, as, as fading away. Sometimes we can think, this is all there's ever going to be. And that's a big thing that comes to us again and again and again. And Paul says, the world in its present form is fading away. It's fading away. It's temporal. And therefore, he's thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to get sucked into some stuff. He says to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says, a good soldier doesn't get drawn into civilian affairs. He just wants to please the one who's enlisted him. And I think this was Paul's outlook on life. I just want to please God. I want to get drawn into some things that may make me undivided, or rather make me, may make me divided in my devotion to him. I think that's the way Paul saw the world. He saw the days are evil, time is short, I want to live radically for God. And so this is how he's able to say singleness for him enables greater devotion to God. Some of you, you go on, you go on business frequently for your, for your work and you may end up in an airport for five, six, seven hours sometimes just waiting for a transfer. In that time, you see, I'm just here temporarily. You don't start kind of looking around, can I buy a house around here? You probably don't even change the time on your watch. You certainly wouldn't bother getting money out because you're in an airport for seven or eight hours. You're in this kind of transition. I'm going to another destination soon. This is how Paul saw the earth. The earth in its current form is passing away. There's something greater that's coming to us. And it's, as we take that in, we can actually say, I want to be undivided in my devotion to God. For some of you, the, the call that God has on your life will mean it's better for you to remain single. For some of you, that, that you just know that to be true. It means you can be very spontaneous when God comes calling. You can say, okay, God, I hear you. I'm coming. I'm going to drop everything, and I'm going to move to another part of the country. I'm going to move to another nation. For some of you, that's a possibility, and it may well be that that is what God has for you. For some of you, God may have a calling for you that actually you think, I can do that and be married. I can do that and pursue marriage. And I just want to say this. This is genuinely the truth that as I look around our church family, some of the most fruitful people I know are single people. I really mean that. And I think if we were uh, as elders to, to mull over who is God really using in very powerful ways to, to raise up others, to encourage others, to, to care for people, to lead in wonderful ways, we would look around and a bunch of those people would be single. That is the truth. It's the reality. We kind of do away with this notion of one day I'll be married and then I'll be really fruitful for God. I think of, on the national scene, possibly the most influential Christian 
of the last 50 years in this nation is a single man. I'm talking about Mike Pilavachi. Some of you will have been blessed by the Soul Survivor camps as a teenager. Tens of thousands of young people. Now a church of the same name, Soul Survivor Church, very influential in this nation. It's been pastored by a single man for decades. Very, very fruitful. And so we've got to kind of do away with this notion of marriage, therefore, equals the pinnacle. And that's when I'm going to be really fruitful. Not only do we get to be fruitful, not only do single people get to be fruitful in different ways, but actually get to point to the gospel in their singleness. As we, as we look to honor God and walk with him in honorable ways, we actually point people to the gospel. Just as marriage is a pointer, so those who are single and honoring God in their singleness also point to the gospel because we're pointing to a great day. We're saying, actually, I'm, I'm promised to Jesus and one day I'm going to be united to him forever. And others can look on and say, there's, there's clearly something better than sex. Because the world will say, there's nothing better than sex. And that's what you've really got to pursue in order to know fulfillment. But actually, when people look at your life as a single person, and if you're honoring God in that, they can say, there is something better than sex. They've met the one who really does fulfill. They've met the one who's, in whose ways we really can flourish, whether single or married. Last thing. We all need family. This, is the, this isn't directly in the text here, but it's clearly there in 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes right at the beginning of the letter, and at the end, he greets a whole bunch of people. Right at the beginning, he greets brothers and sisters. At the end, he names people. And sometimes we skip over these bits in the Bible, just like when we're watching Netflix and you get the option to skip the credits. You think, I don't want to watch that. I want to save time. I want to binge this and watch some more of it right now. We mustn't pass over this because it's instructive to us that Paul really operated in deep community. He really knew people around him who he calls sisters in the faith. Romans 16, there's a whole bunch of them. Women who had been so instrumental in helping him see the gospel advance. He talks of others being mothers to him, others being brothers. This was his life. He, he lived out his life in a sense of family, in community, in team. He's very rarely alone, actually, on his travels. He's normally got someone with him or someone with him even in prison. He's clear and convinced that the church is to be the family of God. It's to be the household of God, where we know brothers and sisters around us, where we know deep family. It's our heart's cry, our heart's desire as an eldership team that we would all know family, where, where, where married people will know single people well and walk with them. Our single people will know married people well and walk with them. And as a mutual kind of caring for one another and a walking together in this. It's not good for us to be alone. That's what, that's what uh, God said over the first human that he created. Everything was good. It was good. It was good. And then there was... Uh, it was not good, because it was not good for Adam to be alone. And listen, this is not God's desire for us to be isolated and lonely. Pastor and author Sam Albury himself, a single man, very fruitful, says this, loneliness is the one form of suffering that a Christian should never experience. I'll say that one more time. Loneliness 
is the one form of suffering that a Christian should never experience. We are called to suffer as Christians. Suffering will come. We are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And implied in that is that there will be difficulty sometimes, full of joy, but also things that actually are just downright perplexing. I find myself praying and walking sometimes and saying, God, this is really hard. This is really hard. This is really hard. Would you sprinkle some encouragement in right at the right moments? I need it, Lord. There's there's things that we're going to struggle with and suffer with, but one thing we should not know in the church family is loneliness. We need God's help in this. And some of you, you're feeling, I just feel so lonely and isolated. I want to encourage you, urge you, ask God for deep friendship. Ask him. Knock on his door. Ask him. Be specific with him. And he will provide for you. Those of us who maybe don't know that isolation, let's be on the lookout and say, God, who will you lead me to? Who can I come alongside of who may be isolated? We can't do that with everyone. But we must not see loneliness in the church. Jesus had intimacy with his friends. The intimacy came from him sharing the, 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 the things of his heart with them. That was what really bound their friendship. It wasn't just going to things together, although it was that, but there was an intimacy there. One of his good friends felt so confident and comfortable with him that he lent his head on his shoulder at the Last Supper. That's, that's friendship. And the world doesn't really have a category for intimacy beyond sexual intimacy. It doesn't really have a category for that. We look at friends, you know, the world will look at friendships in the Bible and say, I think they might be a same-sex couple. Actually, the Bible speaks about real deep friendships where there was real intimacy and good friendship, which is what we all need. So, I think that is everything that I want to say on this. And I think we're going to be really helped now as Marie comes to share with us. Let's give Marie a big welcome. Hello. Are we on? Yes. Yes, we are. Good to have you here, Marie. Thank you for coming over. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I've already said where you're from, so I spoiled that one. Um, But can you tell us what do you do, what you're excited about, how how is God using you right now? And yeah, go for it. So I'm Marie, as Tom said. I live in Norfolk, if you don't know where Deerham is. Um, I'm a police officer. And I'm an inspector, so it's quite a big job within policing for me at the moment. Lots of hours go in, which is one of the blessings of being single and not having a family. Um, I am also church planting, hopefully, into Fakenham. I feel God's very much called me and my best friend uh, to seek him for a movement of Jesus followers in Fakenham. And so uh, that's a new journey that we've been on for just just under two years now. Fantastic. So if you feel called to go to Fakenham, come and speak to Marie after this. I really mean that. There may be some of you who think, I want to get in on a church plant. And the way these guys are going about it is really exciting. So what things do you feel God is calling you to into the future? You've talked about church planting. What things has he given to you as gifts that you think, this is, I just know I've got to do this for God? So I believe God's calling me to senior leadership in policing. Mm. How far that is, I don't know. Um, possibly all the all the way to the top, but uh, wow. that's in his hands, not mine. Wow. Um, I also feel very passionately about equipping the church, uh, particularly around evangelism uh, and just living life for Jesus. 
Um, and so really pushing through in that, uh, I also sit within our relational missions, everyone a witness core team, uh, and serve some of our church families in that way, and just encourage and support people as well. So there's some big things, um, and who knows what God's going to call us to in the future, but I, what I do know is I want everything that he's promised for yeah, me. Yeah, wonderful. So what are some of the biggest uh, blessings being single, and what are some of the most difficult things about being single? Biggest blessings, I would say, um, as you've kind of already said, you know, I, I can go where I want. Mm. Um, so I like to be able to travel and uh, I, I get the privilege of being able to go and not having to think, can I take the kids out of school? And does my husband have the time and can we do this or not? And actually, if I can use all my annual leave to do church stuff, which I generally do. Wow. Um, so um, being able to just go and get involved in local church stuff, wherever it is, serving God, encouraging people. Um, for me, that's one of the biggest blessings of being single. And it gives me the time and the capacity to do it locally as well, not just abroad or somewhere mm. far away, but uh, also locally. So I think for me, that's one of the big, big, big blessings of being single. One of the challenges is, and sadly, loneliness. Mm. We, we don't Want, we don't believe that people should be lonely in the church, but actually the reality mm. is it can be quite a lonely place. And mm. um, there's a big emphasis on marriage. And often that emphasis on marriage is at the expense of recognizing there's a lot of single people in the church. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one of the biggest challenges being um, single. I'd also say, um, you know, I'd have loved children. Mm. I'm 39, so not quite past it, but... Um, actually, I'm beginning to look at and think about, actually, this might not be a reality. And so um, not having children, not being able to do all those things. I can do auntie stuff, but it's still not the same as having sure. your own. Yeah, yeah, I understand. You've just touched on that a little bit, I suppose, around some of the, the, the difficult things. What are some of the pitfalls that people who are single could be susceptible to? I think um, the, the pity party of being single. Um, I can't do this. I... I want, I want to be loved by someone and, and spend loads of time potentially chasing relationships instead of chasing after God mm. is, is a really classic pitfall that I, I have seen people get involved in and just you know spend hours on internet dating sites going mm. in, in and out of different relationships and dating and instead of just trusting God and saying, no, I'm going to set my heart on you and if there's a husband out there or a, a wife out there, then you'll introduce me to them at the right time. Um, so that, that can be a real pitfall for someone who's single. Mm. Um, and I, I also think that there's something around single people not, um, or sorry, expecting others to invite them over and not necessarily being on the front foot about who are you going to engage with, perhaps a family mm. that um, you could invite around for dinner or invite around for coffee and cake and games or whatever, so that you start to build those relationships instead of expecting families to invite you along because you're the single person. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of being an initiative taker, that's good. And what are some of the pitfalls that maybe married people are susceptible in the area of singleness? What? Uh, I think assuming that we've got lots of time. Mm, um, right. That's certainly something that uh, I know is, or I felt that people have assumed that I've got lots of time and I can do this and I can do that and I can do the other. Um, actually, I often don't have lots of time because I'm busy doing what I think God's calling me to do and trying to 
socialise, so that I'm not lonely, and those kind of things. So that, that is certainly an area um, where married people can assume mm. um, that we're, we're busy. I'd also um, say, assuming that we've got a social network, that there are close relationships involved mm. um, and things like that, actually, maybe those busy single people don't have close relationships, don't have others that they just feel welcome to come and hang out with mm. in that family environment. And so, um, yeah, don't, don't assume that people have those good, close friendships. Mm. So you've spoken there about a couple of assumptions, really, and that assumptions come, I suppose, when there's not a proximity. There's not a, you know, and that's, that's I think, a really helpful thing for, for us to hear, that we need to be in close in order to see, actually, yeah, Single people can be very, very busy with very responsible jobs like you have. Uh, and it's not always the case that people have got lots and lots of free time. Likewise with social networks and just people, yeah, assumptions there. Um, Marie, what encouragement would you give to those who are single in our church? And as we look out here, um, um, we're talking about dozens and dozens of people. So in different stages of life, some younger, some not so young, some who have been married, some who are, are widowed and so on. So what would you give as an encouragement or encouragements? Uh, I would say fix your eyes on Jesus mm. first and foremost and run hard after what he's got for you. The, there is no better place to be than in his will and he will provide you a husband or a wife if that's his will and that's the best thing for you. Don't force it to happen and certainly don't become unequally yoked yeah. uh, in that weight. I'd also encourage single people to um, be open and be honest. Yeah. If you are finding it hard, if you are finding it lonely, you know, certainly for me, one of the hardest things sometimes is just not having someone to hug. Yeah. And so if you are in that place, find someone that you can be open with and just yeah. say, look, I really need a hug. Yeah. You know, we don't have someone to snuggle up on the couch with, yeah. but actually... If you've, if you've got open, genuine, honest relationships, mm. then those that love you will give you a hug. Yeah, that's really, really good. And that is, as we see from Genesis, we're not made to be in isolation. And part of that is a hug. Part of that is a, is a physical, uh, physical uh, intimacy. So that's wonderful. We're, what we're going to do, friends, is we're going we're gonna to do really what Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians 7, is we're going to pour out our devotion to Jesus the worship team, come and be ready to lead us in that. Um, I would love for you to pray for us, Marie. It may be that you have, God gives you prophetic words, whatever, you know, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, but I'd, I'd just love for you to pray for us. So can we stand together where we are? And, and Marie's going to lead us, and, and we'll just see where God takes us in, in these coming minutes. Just one other thing I, I, I mm. just feel prompted is, brothers and sisters are so important, Yeah. but so are children. Mm spiritual children as much as um, physical children. And so if you have a family unit, you know, I love going to the zoo, I love <laughs> going to kiddie stuff, but actually I don't get invited mm. because I don't have kids and I'm not married. And so, um, again, just be thinking about how you, as married people with children, think about how you can invite single people into that mm. family unit as older brothers and sisters, mm. aunties, uncles, mm. in, in that sense. But also think about your single brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters. Yeah. Re and that is the most important thing I can mm. I could probably say. We are brothers and sisters. Yeah. Mums and dads, aunties, uncles, everything else. But look at your 
look at each other as brothers and sisters. Mm, that's really good. Just to encourage you before you pray, I spoke to someone in the week this week who said, Marie has been like a spiritual mother to me. She has impacted my life profoundly. Uh, someone in our church here who's being fruitful, but who has been invested in by Marie over years. So that's a really wonderful thing. So encourage you as you pray. <laughs> oh, Father God, I want to thank you that we are family. Mm. Thank you, Father God, that there should be no one who is lonely in your church. First and foremost, Father, because you are faithful. Yes. That you are with us. Yes. That you love us so much. And Lord, I want to pray particularly for any who feel unloved at this moment in time. All those who are single in whatever capacity and way who feel like they are unloved or unlovable. And I just want to break that lie that you are loved. Mm. And I say, Holy Spirit, will you come right now? Yes. Will you, will you pour out your love into those that feel unloved? Mm. For those that feel unlovable, Lord, I want to ask that the truth of your word, the truth of what you have done on that cross would sink so deep that they would know that they are loved more than they can think yes. or imagine. Mm. Holy Spirit, will you come? Yes, Lord. And Father, I want to ask that you would help us as your people get so much better at being brothers and sisters, mm. at being family together, that families would give single people keys and that mm. those that are single would know that they are part of a family mm. that's wider than perhaps their own genetic family mm. where they would be able to have fridge rights <laughs> and feel welcome mm. and father i want to ask that you would be speaking to single people right now about who who they could connect to who they could invite a family over for a coffee or out for uh, a day at the park or something like that and that you would be speaking to families yes, Lord. right now who, who can they come alongside who can they be including into their family as an extra brother or sister as an extra auntie or uncle Father God, I want to thank you that we are one big family. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I want to thank you that you want us to shine mm. as your church in a world that's full of isolation, mm. in a world that is so full of individualism. Lord, you call us to be different. Yes. You call us to live lives that are one anothering that are full of love for each other you call us to be a people that radiates out your love yeah. that our friends our families our colleagues our neighbors who don't know you would look at us and see that there's something different yes Lord. there's something different about those christians they've always got other people in their home They've always got others there that, and they're so loving. Lord, will you, will you come and do a work in each one of us yes, Lord. right now? Will you come, come and break down the home is our castle mentality? Yes, Lord. Yeah. Lord, where 
I just feel for some of you that your home is your castle, your family is your castle, and there is a, an emphasis put on family time. And, and fam, don't get me wrong, family time is, is important, but actually family time can include others. And Father, I want to ask right now that for those that have built their home as their castle or their, their family time as their castle and their idol, Lord, I, I want to ask that you would break that now. Yes, Lord. That you would be speaking to people where, where that's where they're spending their time and that's where they're holding holding dear Lord will you will you come break the walls down yes Lord and I just want to pray for those who are single and married with families or without Lord, that you would help each one of us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. Yes, Lord. That you would give us hearts so hungry for you, that we would run hard after all that you have got for us. Yes. Lord, that we wouldn't allow the cares of this world to hold us back, but that we would keep our eyes truly fixed on you, seeking more of you, seeking to be used by you day in and day out more and more yes that we would see many more people come to know you yes, lord. as lord and savior yes, that we would lord. see many lost and broken people who don't know you yes lord come into the family of god yes holy spirit will you come yes. right now will you come and set our hearts aflame again yes lord for your glory yes Thank Marie, she served us so well.